bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they, they stole food. Also men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same, so that you, our God brought, us, brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and that they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some at my servant, of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the traders and merchants and every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would give to us listening ears and believing hearts, minds that understand, and feet and hands that will be willing and made willing to obey. Help us this morning, Lord, to receive this word with humility. And Lord, where we fight against your word, Lord, help us to remember that there is nothing wrong with your word. There is only something wrong with the way that we are viewing it. Lord, help us this morning, we pray. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. I greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. It has been said that while the Garden of Eden no longer remains, there are a number of flowers from the Garden of Eden that by the grace of God have survived. Marriage. Marriage is one of those flowers from the Garden of Eden that has endured and survived, praise be to God. And while God's ordinance of the sanctity of marriage between one man born a man and one woman born a woman is increasingly persecuted, the fact remains. In the beginning, God made them Male and female, the flower remains. Work is another one of those flowers that has been given to man from God and is a good thing. 
It's a, it's a right thing for man to work. And connected with this flower of work is another flower. The flower of rest or the flower of the Sabbath day. It is that ordinance, that creation ordinance of rest given to us by God, our creator. The Sabbath and it's keeping it holy. It is a part of God's natural law written on our hearts at creation. Just as God worked six days creating the world and then rested on the seventh day, so too man made in the image of God must Shabbat or Sabbath rest. And dear ones, the Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift for man. It is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, as Jesus the Lord says. It was and it remains God's gift to man so that he might, we might, delight spiritually in God, rest physically in God. It's been the gift of God to his creatures. Sabbath is not to be a, a day of burden. The Sabbath is to be a day of blessing to the people of God, to all people. The Sabbath is not to be filled with activities from the world. What a, what a providential day to say these things. The Sabbath is not to be filled with activities from the world. Not in the least. It is meant to be a day of spiritual rest in God's finished work and physical resting from our labors. And we come to the book of Nehemiah this morning. To further examine this command to keep the Sabbath holy. Let's turn our attention to the book of Nehemiah. And what we are seeing here in the book of Nehemiah is a, a people after 70 years of exile. The Jews have returned home to Jerusalem and are rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. They were allowed to worship God in their own land. But in their own land, the city lay in ruins from the time of their captivity. The once great capital of the promised land was now a depressing heap of rubble. When Nehemiah hears this, Nehemiah is in service in Persia. He serves under Artaxerxes. You know Artaxerxes as Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus is the, the man who extended the golden scepter to Esther, called her his queen. When Nehemiah hears of the destruction and the, uh, the rebuilding project, if you will, he sets out, commissioned by Ahasuerus or Artaxerxes, uh, to help rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He goes there, sent by God to, to reform and to reestablish right worship and right living among the people of God. In the first part of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is restoring Jerusalem in a physical sense. 
It's rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah hears that a, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and that the gates are burned with fire. And so again, he gains permission from Artaxerxes to rebuild the city. The governors of the surrounding territories, they viciously, they oppose Nehemiah's efforts. But the wall, nevertheless, is completed in 52 days. Nehemiah also restores economic justice in the land. Admonishing the wealthy for taking advantage of their less than fortunate brothers. In the second section, Nehemiah and another one that you may have heard of, Ezra. Bring spiritual revival to Jerusalem. Now there are many other prophets who are living during this time. But they bring spiritual revival to Jerusalem. It is spiritual reformation. Ezra reads the law of Moses aloud to the people. And the nation rededicates themselves to obeying God's law. They were being called back to covenantal living. Return to the law, the law of God and they respond positively. The people reaffirm their commitment to God and to his law. They understand that one cannot merely say they are committed to the worship of God unless they are also committed to to living for God. Living for God, having faith in God is more than words. It's action. In chapter 10, verse 29, the people of God commit to the law of Moses. They, they reaffirm their commitment to the law. To keep and observe the commands of God. To keep His ordinances and His statutes. In verse 30, they commit they will not intermarry with unbelievers. They will stay away from those women and those men who will draw them away from the one true God. In verse 32 through 39, they commit to bring, to bring back the tithe into the storehouses. And then notice verse 31, once again, if you would. It's a very interesting verse. As for the, this is chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 31. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or a holy day. And we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Did you notice that? The people of God commit to the law of God. They commit to the tithe. They commit to then a specific way in which they are to conduct themselves on the Sabbath day. They commit to refrain from work and they commit to refrain from commerce. They, ref, they, ref, they commit to refrain from work. And they commit to refrain from commerce. That is, buying and selling on the Sabbath day. As a manner of keeping the Sabbath holy, the people of God will not buy and they will not sell on the Sabbath day. They will not work on the Sabbath. 
which is also a matter of buying and selling. If they were working, someone needs to buy from them. Someone needs to pay them. They will not do these things. They also will not collect a debt on the Sabbath day. This, uh, there is a right principle here in Sabbath keeping, which refrains from commerce. And at the end of the 10th chapter, the people also make another commitment. Look at it in verse 39. And we will not neglect the house of God. Not only the house of God, the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of God. They commit to gathering in the house of God for worship. Because that is appropriate on the Sabbath day. This is the people of God talking. These are wonderful commitments, are they not? And the purpose of this restating of these commitments is an acknowledgement of this. It is precisely because they have disobeyed these commands. That they were actually led into exile in the first place. They've been away from their homeland for 70 years, taken into Babylon, into captivity. Precisely because they have disobeyed these commands that they are now recommitting themselves to again. We were exiled because we strayed from these commands. We reaffirm our commitment to them again today. They confess they had broken covenant with God. They confess they had a, a lukewarm love for God that caused them to stray away from His commandments. They, they turned aside from the worship of God and they were led to the worship of false gods of other nations. They turned their foot, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 58, they turned their foot from the worship of God on the Sabbath and they turned to their own pleasures. They turned to their own desires. This was their downfall. They're acknowledging it today. On that day, this was our downfall. We turned from the things, the sin that we have committed, and we return to God alone. Isaiah says in the book of Isaiah that God's people must return to delighting. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. Return to delighting in the Sabbath. Call, he says, if my people will call the Sabbath a delight. A delight. The promise of God is this. Then they will delight in me. If you delight in the day of the Lord, you will delight in the Lord of the day. God himself. Oh, dear saints, is there not some kind of instruction for us here in these introductory words? We too have RBC. We have experienced a great reformation in this church. Over 12 years, 12 years that this church has been in existence by the grace of God we have toiled and been faithful to God's word. It's not been easy. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But God has given us grace. God has given us strength and courage and endurance to, to do this. To look to his word as the only certain rule of faith and obedience. 
and say this, all that God has commanded, we will obey. Is that easy? (laughs) Never easy. It has been challenging because our comforts are challenged. Our traditions are challenged. Our false beliefs are challenged. Our understandings are challenged. And they have slowly been corrected and and are being corrected. But with that said, we must ask ourselves an important question, sojourner. Why do I do what I do? This, of course, is a most essential question in reference to this. How do I worship God and how do I live in light of my worship and devotion to God? Why do I do what I do? What's the basis for it? What's the basis for the way that I worship? Let me say this. You are worshiping in this specific church when especially in Bakersfield, there are, there are thousands of churches to choose from. Thousands of them. What makes this church the one for you? I pray that it would be this. I've looked at God's Word, and the manner in which He's called us to worship is most reflected as best as I can see here in this particular church. God has called us to worship not in any way that we desire, but in a way that He has commanded us to worship Him. And I believe as best that I can see that's reflected here in this particular church. It's helpful to confess, all of us, that there are many areas in our lives, spiritually, practically, that yet need reforming. The mantra during the Reformation was this semper reformanda. You've heard semper fi uh, from the military. Semper fi meaning always faithful. Well, the religious mantra was semper reformanda, always reforming. Always reforming, always growing in our understanding. Always looking to God's word. Is what I am doing in worship. And what I am doing in practice is this most what reflects what you are calling me to. And if it's not, we don't look to the word and say, well, then I can rip this page out. Uh, oh, I, I'll just skip to the John 3.16 verse. I like that one better. We don't get to, to wipe out or rip out or ignore the portions in God's eternal inspired word and think that we're not culpable. The the word reforms us. We don't reform the word. So simple reformanda. Lord, reform my thinking through your word. Lord, reform my practice through your word. Lord, reform my belief through your word. And if we are not consistently holding up our theology and our doxology to the mirror of God's word, 
to see if what we are believing and what we are practicing most reflects what's here. This is the mirror. Do I look like this? Then I need to change. Not this. And if we don't, if this is not constantly before us, then we will fall into the same dangers as these who are here in the book of Nehemiah who have experienced 70 years of exile and are now being shown the mirror of God's word and saying they are saying to themselves, we don't look anything like what God is calling us to. We will change. There's a number of in chapter 10. We will, we will, we will change, 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 reform, reform, reform. So then, Nehemiah. And then they all lived happily ever after, right? Nehemiah returns. He goes back to Persia. He returns to the service under Artaxerxes for a time. Twelve years. He leaves. Work is done. Twelve years. And during his absence, the reform, the reformanda, that he and all the other prophets worked so hard to initiate. It began to teeter on this slippery slope. And then slowly decline. The people reverted back to the sin that caused their exile. Twelve years. I said in just a few moments ago. Our church has been here for 12 years. A 12-year reformation. Those of you who were involved in that reformation, you confess it. We need to work so that our children don't just assume it, but that they too confess it. And their children need to work So that they don't just assume it, but they confess it. Twelve years have passed, and during that that absence, the walls of the city are upright, but the hearts of the people inside lay in ruin. It was the opposite before. The hearts of the people were being built up by God's word while the city lay in ruin. And now there is absence from Nehemiah, maybe. Maybe the prophets are no longer being listened to. But the ruin is no longer outside, it's inside. Nehemiah returns and what does he find? The tithes are no longer being collected and put into the storehouses. But the storehouse, the place that that used to to hold all of the grains and goods that were used to provide for the priests of the house of God. The storehouse has been turned into a luxury apartment for a man named Tobiah. Who's Tobiah? Doreen might know. She's read the Bible a couple of times now. Tobiah is one of the men who opposed the building project of the walls of Jerusalem. Vehemently opposed the building project. And now when Nehemiah returns, he sees the man who opposed him living in the house of God, but the storehouse is not filled with produce. It's filled with luxury furniture. 
He runs him out, obviously. What are you doing here? Get out of here. Throws his furniture out into the street. Nothing was being collected for the priest. That means the people of God neglected the servants of God. Men had taken foreign women along with the foreign women's pagan gods. Nehemiah says it's the same thing that Solomon did. It's the same thing that caused Solomon's decline. You you are running after men or women who are worshipping other gods or who have no god at all. You don't belong to them. You're the people of God. And Nehemiah also sees the flower of Eden has been trampled upon. The Sabbath was being desecrated, defiled. He walks about on the Sabbath and see, and here's what he sees. And if you can see this in your mind's eye, uh, Nehemiah walking about the, the newly rebuilt city of Jerusalem. And as he's walking through the streets on the Sabbath, here's what he sees. Men are at work at the wine press. Men are are loading sacks of grain and grapes and figs and all kinds of goods onto donkeys. Merchandise being brought into the rebuilt walls of Jerusalem, being bought and sold. He looks around and here's what he sees. He sees that the people are treating this day just like every other day. He sees that the people of God are treating this day just like every other day. The wine press they would do on Monday. Uh, for them, Sunday, but we'll change. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, all those other things, I should say, were done on all the other days, not the holy day. It was a complete abandonment. Of all that they had rededicated themselves to 12 years earlier so quickly. 12. Those of you who have been here with all, all the 12 years, it's gone by quick, hasn't it? You've seen a lot in 12 years. So quickly, the commitments they had made were all but forgotten. The whole city was being used as a magnet for buying and selling and trading. God's day. God's flower was being trampled underfoot. It was not being observed as a day of worship, but a day of commerce, just like every other day. Not a holy day, but for them a holiday to do as they pleased. What is more, this profaning of the Sabbath, it wasn't a secretive profaning. It was public. No one was hiding (laughs) what they were doing. It was publicly flagrant. It was thumbing their nose at the Sabbath. I don't care. Sabbath, smabbath. I don't care about no Sabbath. No shame. None whatsoever of desecrating the holy day of God. When Nehemiah returned and observed this public desecration, he's appalled. He protested. He even reprimanded those in authority and those under authority. Verses 17 and 18. Let's read it. 
This is chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. We've read these, but I want you to see them. I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Listen to what he says. Did your fathers, did not your fathers do the same? So that God, so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble, yet you are adding wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. This is what caused us to fall in the first place, and you're doing it again. So the following week, what does Nehemiah do? As the, as the Sabbath day is approaching, as the sun is going down and the day of the, the holy day is beginning, Nehemiah does something that may seem drastic. He commands that the gate of the city be closed. Close the gates. Why? Why would he do that? So that the merchants couldn't come in. Those who were buying and selling and trading so that they could not come in and trample upon the holy day of God. The people of God also would be kept inside because they've made a covenant to God. They won't come in and you won't go out. Look at verse 19. Listen to look at what happens. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of the city of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut. They should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gate so that they so that no load would enter into the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. So the gates are shut. And he's staying for a longer period of time. But there's a few times when instead of not coming, the merchants decide, well, we'll just set up shop right outside the gates. We'll wait for them to open the doors so that when they open the doors, we can be the first ones in to make money. Nehemiah notices this. Listen to what he does in verse 20. I have one. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's funny. Uh, not funny. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. Your Bible may say, I may lay hands on you. Uh, it, I, actually, I don't think it says I may. It says, I will lay hands on you. Not to pray for them. Guess what they did? From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. <laughs> you come back, I'm going to put hands on you. Okay, Nehemiah, point taken. They don't come back. Nehemiah filled with zeal. For the house of God and for his day. Threatens the merchants with violence. I will harm you if you don't leave. That seems extreme. Until years later in the same temple. There was another man. Who when seeing the same people. Reverting back to the same thing they said they would not do. Makes a whip. Out of cords. And begins to drive out the merchants and money changers. You know that man is the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. In his zeal, you are turning 
my house into a store, if you will. This house is a house of worship. What is sorely disappointing is that Nehemiah even had to go to such lengths. That he would even have to say, I'm going to shut the gates. The people found greater delight in greed, in personal advancement, in personal, personal pleasures than in the Lord and His day. The secularism of the people, it endured beyond six days. It bled over into the seventh day to where there was no distinction. That there was no one in seven. They were all alike in their eyes. In verse 22, he calls the, the, the Levites to purify themselves for the work of God on the Sabbath. And part of that was closing the gates. It was a work. But it was a holy work. It was a work of worship to God, not a work of worship to self. And I wonder how many people inside of Israel could not wait for the Sabbath to be over so that they could go about their lives buying, selling, trading, working. How many, maybe not in practice, but in the depths of their heart, could not wait for the city gates to open so that they could go back to the world. In the book of Amos, the people lament because they cannot buy or sell on the Sabbath. They're saddened. Ah, we don't get to buy or sell today. The people who have been given light, they can't wait to join the people in the darkness. Does that not make you one of the living dead? If the day is called to be holy and one gathers for worship and then as soon as the gates are open, that one runs, runs to the gates to get through it. Let me out of this. I, need, I want to be there. Does that then not make you one of them? Some way say that sounds like works righteousness. Oh, we've dealt with this over and over again, haven't we? Not in the least. This biblical doctrine is not legalistic. This is not keep the Sabbath to be justified. It's keep the Sabbath because you are justified. The honoring of the whole day. The abstaining from worldly work. Worldly affairs. Worldly pursuits. Worldly competitions, worldly thoughts, worldly lust is a call for you to come out of her, the world. And come into the world that you are a citizen of, of heaven. You are not a citizen of this world. The Lord says, you are not of this world. Come out of her. But we are so desperate we are so anxious to leave the taste of heaven that's here so that we can feast upon the, the many courses of the world. Are we then not carnal? Are we then not one of them? Dear ones, what can we learn? 
from all that we have seen here in the book of Nehemiah, I have four very brief points this morning. Very brief in that long introduction. Number one, the Sabbath remains. The Sabbath remains. Dear sojourners, I will not give an offense of the permanence of the Sabbath day. I've done that over and over again. Must we make the case for the fact that this is a creation ordinance? Must we make the case that the Sabbath was given prior to the moral law codified in stone on Mount Sinai? Must we consider that the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, is not a, not a command only going forward to recall, but it's also a command to recall what has always been. Remember the Sabbath. When God gives the command in the book of Exodus, remember the Sabbath, He's recalling or calling them to recall something that has always been. Remember the Sabbath. Not going forward only, remember the Sabbath. But initially, remember the holy day of God. Must we make a case that the seventh day, Sabbath of the old creation, was fulfilled in Christ. But the first day, Sabbath, of the new creation, for we who are in Christ, are a new creation, it remains. Must we remind you that Christ triumphantly entered into Jerusalem on a donkey on the first day. Christ rose from the dead on the first day. Christ appeared to His disciples six different times on the first day. Christ appeared to His disciples on the road to Emmaus and had communion with them on the first day. Christ ascended on the first day. The Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles on the first day. The church began to meet on the first day of the week. It's huge. That's just a few. These men who had lived under Mosaic law all of their lives, recognizing the seventh day as the holy day, now completely revert or convert to the first day. That the seventh has been abrogated. That the first is now instituted by God. The church takes up a collection on the first day. So there would not need to be any going around and gathering. But since you're all gathering, take up a collection. Because you're gathering on the first day anyways. Uh, must we call to the witness of Hebrews chapter 4, there remains a sabbatismus. That is a present Sabbath for the people of God until we, we see the blessed return of Christ. And if that's not enough for you, Scripture, which is sufficient, then you can go to history. For all of the historical writings of the early church tell us that the first day was the Lord's day and it was considered to be a Sabbath unto the Lord. And not to mention... That we are heading towards an eternal Sabbath. Where we will be joined with the saints of old as Christ brings us home. Anyone, anyone who contends against the permanence of the Sabbath has to contend against Scripture. Has to contend against history. And has to contend against the hope of glory that is before us. I'm not going to give a case. For the permanence of the Sabbath. Number two. Therefore, our use of the Sabbath must be, listen to this, examined. Our use of the Sabbath must be examined. Now, when we examine 
spiritual practical life, we do not examine in light of what makes us comfortable. We don't say, let me evaluate, I'm comfortable with this, Eh, not so much comfortable with that. Does the word of God, is, is the word of God intended to make us comfortable? No, we, we, we are commanded not to allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. Why? Because we are being squeezed into the mold of Christ. Either way, there is going to be some squeezing. Which at times can be uncomfortable. We examine our use of the Sabbath then, since this is the topic the Lord's day in light of what God commands on his day. So saints, what is the basis for what you do on the Lord's day? You have to have a reason, a basis for why you do anything in terms of worship. If this is his day, what's the basis for what you do on his day? Now in saying this, we need to avoid two extremes, the extreme of antinomianism, the extreme of legalism, on the one hand, believing there is no law. And on the other, putting more upon the shoulders of God's people than He has required. Avoid these two extremes. But we must be careful to examine God's Word concerning how He has commanded us to keep this day. Brothers and sisters, you're here this morning, and, and what are you doing here? Well, you're here, you might say, because I've come to worship God. Why are you here to worship God on this particular day? I think we made a case for the first day. Why are you here in this building, right? Not home. Well, because you believe that God has commanded us to gather for worship. You are doing things even now. Why are you allowing me to kind of talk and yell at you? You won't let anybody do this to you this long. No, You will interrupt on more than one occasion if someone tries to do this to you in normal life. Why are you allowing me to do so? Because you believe that the preaching of God's word is a means of grace. It is the way by which we grow and mature. So you're allowing this to take place because God's word, God's word says so. So you are basing a portion of your life worship upon what God has said. Our worship is structured or regulated by the Word of God. What about when you leave? What regulates your life on this day when you leave? I regulate my life, really. Is only your worship to be regulated by God? Or does God also regulate your practical life as well? Does he not regulate your marriage? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Does he not regulate your marriage? Wives, love your husbands and submit to them as the church does to Christ. Does he not regulate your parents? Parents, do not uh, cause your children to be angry, right? It seems like God has a lot of instructions, and I could go on and on, for the things that we do even outside of here. So on this day, his day... What regulates what you do? You or the inerrant, infallible Word of God? Let me ask you this. 
Have you even asked yourself the question, what does God want me to do when I leave? Are there any instructions for what does, are there any instructions for what I am to do when I leave? Haven't we just read the 13th chapter of the book of Nehemiah? Concerning one aspect, at least the, the act of buying, selling commerce on the Sabbath day. Does that still apply to you and I today? Was this only applicable for the Mosaic covenant? Or is there something specific about the spirit of the Sabbath that Nehemiah was calling the people of God to return to? Yes, there is. The principle of not joining the ungodly in their disobedience. When you drive home, I go up Mount Vernon. I see a lot of different stores and restaurants and and so on and parks. What do you see when you drive home? Do you, like me, do you see the unregenerate turning their foot from the Sabbath day and turning their foot to their own ways, pleasures, and delights? That's what I see. Do you not see them forsaking the assembling of the saints? Do you not see them not caring for the means of grace? Do you not see them joining at the parks for their car clubs? Gathering for sporting events? whether being entertained by them or participating in them? Do you not see them lining up to enter into theme parks? Do you not see them gathering for family reunions or family-related things? Today, you will see them lining up at firework stands so they can be entertained by TNT's latest mini-bomb. Phantom's latest mini-bomb. Their clubs are built on a common car. Common teams. A desire to be entertained. Celebrating a, listen to this word, celebrating a temporal family. Burning money on explosives. That's what I told my wife the other day. I'm not buying no fireworks. I just see my money burning whenever I see. That's up to you. That's my perspective. But all of this on a day when we celebrate a common faith in Christ. All of this when we come not to be entertained, but to be sanctified and readied for glory. All of this that we celebrate with our eternal family. Not burning, but investing in the kingdom of God. But aren't those other things, aren't they pleasurable? Brothers and sisters, we must remember that doing our own pleasure is not the way to true happiness. But I like this. Is it the way to true happiness? Is it the way to true freedom? Is everything that we find pleasure in good and beneficial for us? Not at all. We are sheep and we need parameters. We are children who need fences. Otherwise, we will wander into spaces that will ultimately damage and hurt us is a prohibition that confines you to a unique worship of God. Is that bondage? Is the worship of God bondage on His day? No. The Lord is bringing us to a place where He has commanded us not to do our own activities, 
but His. He's saying to us, slow down. Rest a while. You are running here and there. Slow down. Consider Christ. Consider His Spirit. Consider the glory before you, the doctrines that we praise God for. Slow. Slow down. God has given us one activity today. Aren't you thankful for that? What has God commanded for me on this day? One thing. Think about your Monday through Saturday. Don't you, don't, isn't, aren't your days filled with more things than you like to even think about? A dear brother was saying to me, I've got emails coming to me on the Lord's Day. I have to completely ignore them because they will encroach upon my focusing on God. And then Monday morning, oh boy, boy do I have a lot of work to do. Aren't you glad that you only got one thing to do today? I'll go to the grocery store sometimes and they'll say, oh, oh what are you doing for whatever holiday? I'll be in church the whole day, pretty much. Wow. I've only got one thing to do. One single focus. Worship the triune creator who is forever blessed. What a blessed command. The Lord calls this day his holy, his holy day. He claims this day as our own. And here's our struggle. We are wrestling with God saying, but I want this day. I want to use this day. There's, there's so many things that I want to do on this day. And we're wrestling with, we're playing tug of war with God, if you will, over his day. We want to use this day for our own pleasures, for our own advancements. They may be good, they may be lawful, but on other days, on other days, God has commanded that this day is his day. We are to worship him. And listen to this. To do otherwise is to rob God of what is His. And dear ones, it is a sin. Am I sinning if I do these X, Y, and Z? Yes, you are. And here's the other thing. And now you even know better. So you're even more culpable for this. Someone may say, well, I don't believe that. I'd love to have the conversation with you of why you don't think so. Well, I heard a podcast. <laughs> I heard John MacArthur say, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He can do whatever he wants, and so can you. Please. He should know better. Are those clubs, teams, theme parks, family gatherings, and fireworks, are they sinful? Not in the least. Enjoy them. But if you choose them, over gathering with the saints on his day, yes, it's a sin. Is it wrong to go to, to go to a restaurant? No. Tell me which one you went to. I'd like to go too. On the Lord's day? Yes. Don't go on the Lord's day. Why? Because then you're joining those who are profaning his day. What makes you among those walking in darkness? 
what's the reason why we have a fellowship meal? It's that you don't have to go to a restaurant. You eat with the saints. Let me tell you the way I said it in my notes. Is it wrong to go to a restaurant? No. On the Lord's Day? Question mark. Nehemiah answered the question for you. Nehemiah answered that question for you. Which means God answered the question for you. Christ drives out the commerce on the Sabbath. But we're going to go to our restaurants. We're going to go to our games. We're going to go to our theme parks. If you're joining them, are you not one of them? Someone may say again, works righteousness. No. Looking to God's word, what has God demanded for my life? Don't I owe him my allegiance? Not to be justified, but because I am justified. These will also be a great distraction for you on this day. My wife's listening. I'll make sure I don't hang up. Who liked my, my latest post? What's going on on Facebook? What can I buy on eBay? What's the latest news on YouTube? Are we not so easily distracted from the glory of God? The people of God are to be with the people of God. The world belongs out there. You belong here on this day. This is a confessional church. Do you know what our, our confession says in chapter 22, paragraph 8 about the, about the Sabbath? Here it is. The Sabbath is to be then kept holy unto the Lord. When men, after due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs aforehand, meaning do what you've got to do beforehand so that you don't have to do it on the Sabbath. That's a preparation of the heart so that this day is spent worshiping God. Do, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their works, their thoughts, their words about worldly employment and recreations or resting from those things, but are also taken up the whole time into public and private exercises of his worship and the duties of necessity and mercy. What is this? Our confession is just simply calling us to this, a preparation for the eternal Sabbath. When you go to heaven, are you going to be talking about schoolwork? It will be the furthest thing from your mind. Would you be talking about your sicknesses, your ailments, the things you saw on TV, the work that you have, your workload, the emails, so on and so forth? They will all be a distant memory. I pray we don't remember them at all. It's calling you to get ready for heaven. It's when our words, our thoughts, our pursuits, our delights will be all together caught up in the worship of God. Wouldn't you like to think about God a little bit more? I'll put my hand up. I think I should think about God more in my life. I complain that I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to read His Word. I don't have enough time to, to pray. I don't have enough time to be with the saints. I may lament these things. Well, God says, I give to you a day. A whole day. And it is to be a taste of that eternal day. This day and this time that we are here 
is the closest taste to heaven that we have on this side of glory. According to God's word, we should give it our full attention. If we do not delight in the Sabbath day now, why would we think that we're going to delight in the eternal Sabbath later? If the Sabbath is burdensome to us now and we don't really like it and care for it, what makes you think you're going to like the eternal one? We must not leave here in a hurry. I got to go. Where are you going? I got to run to the mall. I got to run to the grocery store. I got to run to the family gathering. I got to run to the game. I got to run to the hardware store. I got to run to the errands at home. I got to run, run, run. No, you are called to rest. 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 Because this day is made for your rest. For you to receive the benefits that God provides for you from all of your and my running around throughout the entire week. Now you can come and rest. That doesn't mean you get to fall asleep in the sermon. That's not your time to rest. Why do you do what you do? Is God dictating your actions or are you? Prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58, if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasures on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. Is it wrong if I don't ask yourself on the Sabbath? Don't ask yourself. Ask God. Ask yourself this if you want. Is this my desire or God's desire? Am I fighting against something that God plainly teaches? Against something plainly taught in in the church over and over again? Am I taking delight in the world when I should be taking delight in God and the day that He has given me? It's one day. You've got six to do everything else. You need to, you allow, you want to allow, you're allowing the world to encroach upon the one day that God has said it's His? Let me just say very, very frankly, what kind of Christian are you then? Let me move on before I break, hurt someone's feelings. Number three, our acquaintance then with our benefits. Our acquaintance with our benefits. God, what's the benefit of being here? What's the benefit of this day? God's promised to meet with you. You ever look forward to, to a lunch with a friend or a dinner with a friend? Or even with your wife or, or husband? You look forward to it. I'm going to meet them here. We're going to have a nice date. He said he's going to buy me something special. and It's a special day. You look forward to it. God has made a date with you. Every, and he said, and, and I'll, I will give you this date. I want to date you, have a date with you. The first Sunday of, the first Sunday, the first day of every week. I'm not even that kind of a husband to my wife. It takes me months to have a date with her. Christ says, I'll meet you every Lord's day. 
I will meet with you. I will lead you into green pastures. I will feed you, not with steak, uh, I will, I will feed you with the means of grace. I will give you my word. And it will be taught faithfully by faithful men. And it will be used to conform you into my likeness and, and make you ready for glory. I will give you my throne so that you can come to me in prayer anytime you have my ear. He invites us to come. I give you my supper where I will physically nourish you. Yes, you will eat bread. You will eat, uh, uh, you will drink from the cup. And I will also meet with you there. It will be used as a covenant sign that, that your sins are forgiven, that, that I, Christ, has risen, that I have ascended, Christ has risen, and that he will return for his bride. That we are given baptism as a sign that we've been united to Christ, that, that Christ has been buried and raised. We too have been buried and raised. The supper, the baptism, the word of God, they all declare our union with Christ and with one another. That's a benefit. You come and you, you, you receive these means, but you do so together. You're hearing the same word. You're growing together. You're eating together. One speaks, but we're all praying together. We together witness the waters. Someone entering into the waters of baptism. We do this together. Isn't that a rich benefit? You want Christian friends. You, and you try to find them at work. You try to find them in schools. When every week you're meeting with them. For whatever reason, we're so reluctant to at least open ourselves up to say, brother, sister, how might I encourage you in Christ today? We feel weird about that. Why? It's, 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 it's been commanded. Build one another up in the faith. Love each other. Encourage each other. Oh, we've been adopted as brothers and sisters in the same family. We had visitors last week and my wife said to, to me that they said, do you always, does your church always call each other brother and sister? I've heard that a lot throughout this day. My wife said, well, you are my sister. The, the woman said, you called me sister like six times already. I said, good. She maybe needs to be reminded of that more often. You are my brother. You are my sister. I'm here to help you. And to even admonish you. And, and today's a day of admonishing. But also a day of helping. Encouraging so that we together can be built up. Are we doing this perfectly? Not in the least. But when we are imperfect with one another. Our love is imperfect. We bear with one another. We uh, Bear with one another means we put up with each other. There's a lot about a certain person in this church that I have to put up with. Gary knows his name. The Lord love him and I do too. We bear with one another. I will offend you. You will offend me. But I'm going to be seeing you for eternity. I better get used to your face and you to mine. We must never, ever debate on whether or not we should be here for worship. We should never wake up in the morning if we have strength in our bodies. I want to go today. <laughs> we must never plan anything over, listen, over and against the gathering of the saints. These saints. You're a member here? This is where you should be. You made covenant commitments. I will be here. 
I'm not going to go to this church and then go to that church. I'm going to see what's going on. You made commitments here. And unless you're ready to break those and tell the church, I'm breaking my commitment to you. Then you belong here. We need your encouragement. When I preach, I'd like to have some people to preach to. You made a commitment to be here. I made a commitment to preach to you. And to help you, by the grace of God, grow in Christ. We, have some, we need to go back through our constitution. We've made some covenant commitments to one another. Consider all of these benefits. Whenever, and there's plenty more, whenever you don't see a gathering of the saints as being worth it. As being weighty enough. If that's the case, your view of the day of the Lord of his benefits is way too small. We are called to, to, to take delight in the Lord. And when we do, or delight, delight in his day, and when we do, we will delight in the Lord. Let me just say, go, before I go into our next point, there's nothing outside of the gates, the doors, if you will, that are better, that's better than what you're finding in here. Not because I'm preaching. <laughs> Trust me, I'm the least of great preachers. We are only faithful men. But because of all of the benefits that are provided for us here, as we gather for worship, last and not least, this will be a lot shorter. Therefore, our, we delight in this day. Isaiah 58 says, call the Sabbath a delight. What is provided for us on this day? What are the benefits Sabbath keeping is a privilege. Don't let people look at you weird when you say, it's the Lord's Day Sabbath. Sabbath? What are you talking about, Sabbath? Yeah, it's a delight and it is a privilege to be given a day. But it's also, brothers and sisters, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a get up, do it. But it's an exquisite delight. It's a gift that we are called to find pleasure in. There's a joy in this day, isn't there? The, the day is to be enjoyed, not endured. Like, i got to make it through the whole... Enjoy the day. Enjoy. Listen, I've got three ones, and I'm, they're, they're, they're here with me today by myself. My wife's not with me today. If my perspective is i got to just get through the day, I'm going to miss all of the benefits that are provided for me here. I'm not going to endure it. I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to come back and get some more later. We recognize that reverence is an essential part of worship. But listen, the predominant feature of the Sabbath is this joy. If I have made in any way, shape or form the predominant feature of this day, just command, then forgive me. It is command, but it's not just command. It's taking delight in his commands. What does the, the psalmist say? Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. The Sabbath is to be filled with joy and praise and happiness. It's to be a day observed with delight. If we spend the day down in the dumps because it's the Lord's day, that's a sin. Monday can be the day that you're down in the dumps. Sunday should be the day that you're on heights, that you're soaring on in, uh, eagle's wings. Don't wake up and say, oh, it's the Lord's day. Get up. Come on, we got to go. 
we should rejoice. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Yes. And His courts with praise. This day is to be enjoyed. The weariness that some of us feel on the Sabbath day does not result, it's not a result of any inadequacy of the day itself. <laughs> to those who love Christ, the commands are not grievous. No, again, God gives us this day. You want deeper relationships? Here's a day. Uh, you want more time in God's Word? Here's a day. You want more time in prayer? Here's a day. God gives it to you. Here's my gift to you. Delight in it, and you will find delight in me, he says. It's to promote communion with God. Surely it is good for me that I draw near to God. And this is what the Sabbath is intending to do for you and I. Draw us closer. I like this pulpit. I get to lean all over this thing. It draws us closer. If we know that if the Lord did not give us this day, how much time would we spend worshiping God if it, if it were not on this day? If we're honest with ourselves, how much time would we devote to God, His Word, fellowship with the saints and prayers if God did not give us this day? Too little, I think. All of us. Far too little. Again, well, here's an entire day. Remember the Sabbath. You were slaves. But God has set you free. This is a day of freedom. Yes, we are celebrating liberation today. Liberation because Christ has set the captives free. Freedom because we are now free from the sin that we were bound in in Adam. That is a more sure freedom. Praise God for this country. Praise God for the, the freedoms that we have here that are increasingly being reversed. True freedom is only found in Christ. I am not going to uh, lambast any of you if you happen to spark up a firework today at any time. Just remember whose day it is. It's not the United States of America's day. And we've had to deal with this with Christmas. We've had to deal with this with Easter. Every other holiday that's come up, it's the Lord's day. Each Sabbath, we hear the proclamation of the gospel that the liberty is the liberty of the captives free. Christ has rose from the dead on the first day. Christ has appeared to his disciples on the first day. Christ has ascended on the first day. And we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, who has promised to meet with us today. The Lord is alive. This is what the Sabbath tells us to do. To praise Christ who is, a Lord, who is alive forevermore. Don't you need to hear that again and again and again? I do. I, I'm saying it, and I need to hear it as I'm saying it. We fellowship on this day. We've come to worship God on this day in this community. We don't sit at home online. It's not the same. We gather for worship. We are here with the brethren in Christ. It's our forced taste of heaven. The Sabbath brings us together. If we're saying, I'm too busy. I've got so much to do. I need to ask you this question. Then, then what community do you belong to? Then which world are you a citizen of? 
If you are among them, are you not one of them? God has given us this day. If we delight in the day, we delight in God. We will be satisfied in God. Do you feel far off from God? How is your Sabbath keeping? If you delight in it, you will delight in Him. This morning I pray that that you have been challenged. But I pray that you have been elevated on this day. That your thoughts have been elevated, that your affections have been heightened, and that your comforts have been strengthened. To God be the glory. Let's pray.